Hey, it's Jeff. Today I spoke with an old friend, someone I knew way back in the days when she practiced law, and now as she blossoms as a somatic practitioner. What's interesting for me is that I'm just in the beginnings of working on a new love story that I'm writing uh, that also involves a somatic practitioner and her relationship with a super armored, emotionally and physically armored guy who is at first completely resistant to acknowledging that he's had any trauma in his life. And, and they go down a very interesting path together. Anyway, let me tell you about Carmen. Carmen Casado is an integrative somatic therapist who supports clients dealing with trauma and stress symptoms with a holistic therapeutic approach centered around somatic experiencing. She uses mind-body awareness, parts work like IFS, gentle pendulation, and other somatic interventions to help restore nervous system regulation and bring about insight and transformation. She completed her studies of somatic experiencing at the Somatic Experiencing International, is a certified yoga therapist and veterans yoga project teacher, as well as a certified wellness coach. Carmen has taught yoga and mindfulness for over a decade and draws on over two decades of yoga and mindfulness practices, including Zen Buddhism, Vipassana meditation, and conscious dance when supporting clients' embodied wellness journeys. In other words, she has a very, very broad and deep toolbox. Carmen serves on the board of directors of Somatic Experiencing International and previously served on the board of directors of the Reciprocity Foundation from 2011 to 2021. Both organizations are dedicated to supporting trauma resolution and resiliency. Carmen practiced law for over 16 years, having attended law school on a full scholarship, and she founded and ran several law practices in New York and California. During this time, she navigated her own journey with stress and anxiety. We'll talk about that in the podcast. You can find out more about her at CarmenCasado.com. Now, I've done an SE session or two and found it helpful, not just the tools, but the whole way of understanding the human experience. I really believe that we are all trauma survivors to one extent or another, and that our transition from an armored and trauma-perpetuating survivalist consciousness to a more emotionally present, embodied, and authentic consciousness is essential if we're going to remain viable and growthful as a species on this beautiful planet. I mean, how can we even begin to know ourselves as whole beings and to healthily create new realities as a collective if our unresolved trauma is blocking our presence? SC has a whole series of tools in its toolbox that are built for that transition and has the uncanny ability to meet you right where you are on your healing journey. So give a listen to my conversation with Carmen and you'll have a better sense of what I mean. But first, let's listen to a bit from Trevor Hall's album, The Fruitful Darkness, a somatic experience, if ever there was one. Feeling, ah, ah, ah. 
Carmen Casado. Good to yeah, be with you. It's good yeah. to be with you. Hello. Great to be here, Jeff. Been a long time. So I was thinking about you this week. The reason I reached out to see if you'd wanted to come on the podcast was maybe partly because we had a uniquely similar experience of getting involved in the legal world and then finding our way out of it. My story, I left it a lot quicker than you did. You stayed in it for a number of years, but I'm I'm wondering if you know if you just share just something about your background in relation to what brought you into the legal system, the nature of the work you did, and and why you left it, and and how that may connect with the work that you're doing now around um, somatic experiencing. Yeah, sure. Um, it's an interesting story. I think the reason that I got interested in the law was, well, it's a few things. My dad was always really interested in in United Nations and uh, international work. And so when I went to college, I thought, oh, I'd love to work for an international organization, live internationally. My dad is from Europe. He's from Spain. And that's why I went to law school. I was told by my professors that, yeah, you go to law school and you can do you can get into international law that way or get into some of these NGOs. And at the same time, I was drawn to other things. I was drawn to zoology and biology and theater. But I had these grand ideas of working on the international stage, doing something really cool and big. I picked the law school that I went to in large part because they had an international law program. That was what I studied. I had a concentration in international law. From there, I ended up, I defaulted into immigration law. I was actually happy to do immigration law because it's very relational. I loved, I I speak Spanish and um, I loved helping people and I uh, loved getting to know people's stories. Um, I tried for a a little bit uh, in New York to do international law. I went to the International Center for Dispute Resolution after practicing immigration law. And I thought, I really don't like this. It's, It's not relational. It's very abstract. It's helping companies. So that's that's what drew me into the law. But I did learn after some time. It's a grind. <laughs> and, and you really need to have certain boundaries when you're working with clients of professionalism that felt very rigid. You know, while I liked it, there was things I didn't like about it. But I think one of the things that really pushed me helped push me out of it was the amount of stress I would feel in my body. And so simultaneously to studying law, the very first year I started law school, I found yoga. I'd be riding my bike to law school and there was a yoga teacher in a park and I started taking classes with her. And so I had an embodied journey as I started my legal journey. And I could really tell how much stress I would hold in in my body as a lawyer. So I did end up practicing law in a way that worked for me. And I would actually say, hey, I I like being a lawyer, whereas most people hated it. And and that was having my own law practice. I had staff. I, I worked with a lot of creative people, artists. It was nice, but it was the the amount of responsibility that was placed on my shoulders was tremendous with having staff and having that many clients. And it was immigration law. So a lot of forms, if you don't check the right box, someone could get deported. And I just felt that I felt 
so much tension here in my right shoulder, in my back body, in my jaw, and almost nothing I could do could get that tension out of my body. And how did that sort of experience of tension inform itself in other parts of your life? I mean, did other parts of your life reflect the tension that you were experiencing as a result of the practice? Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, I think I dealt with it in a healthy way. I found my outlets and it was always in the wellness world. A lot of lawyers, as you know, drink and do a lot of drugs because they can't handle the tension in their body. They don't know what else to do to unwind. And thankfully, I had great tools at my disposal. I did a lot of yoga. I got into dance, conscious dance by rhythms and ecstatic dance. And that really helped me have an outlet. But then I became a mom. And having little ones and having that amount of pressure, I could just feel the competition for my nervous system and my my life force, right? And it didn't feel good to me. I mean, literally two days after giving birth, I was working and I worked up until I gave birth because Mm -hmm. I was self-employed and, you know, there's no maternity leave for self-employed people in this country anyways. And I didn't really have great backup in, in terms of the law practice. I had great staff, but at the end of the day, the buck stopped. Mm -hmm. So it was brutal. It was really brutal. And, um, trying to run the practice and the nanny wouldn't show up. It's just very, it increased the stress a lot. And I Mm -hmm. definitely had a lot of doubts about (laughs) whether it's the best thing for me as a, as a new mom to continue with that lifestyle. They were living in the land of too much. Sounds like. Oh yeah, very much. So I was used to it to a certain extent, but then I Mm -hmm. really having the children made me see like, this isn't a, healthy, sustainable way to be. Got it. So what brought you in the direction of SE, Peter Levine's work, somatic experiencing? And maybe just for people who are listening who don't know what SE is, give us some idea of what that is. Yeah, somatic experiencing is a modality, a holistic or naturalistic modality for working with trauma and stress in the nervous system. And it's working with the lower brains and the nervous system in addition to the cognitive part of the brain. But really, we're, we're seeing how the body stores the story, the story of trauma, the story of, of stress, and helping the system to come into the window of tolerance. Um, so we say every nervous system, every body has a window of tolerance in which it can tolerate and it's activating and deactivating all day long. Um, but people who have experienced significant trauma or high stress are out of the window of tolerance a lot and they're stuck in a fight or a flight or freeze mode. We work with them to get their system back into the window of tolerance by using a number of tools and that trains the nervous system how to go there. So we provide tools to our clients in terms of this is what you can do when you're, when this is happening, this is what you do, but it also helps create new neural pathways and show the nervous system the way out, which is really cool. And it also helps uh, to discharge trauma that's stuck in the system. So we're working on getting the system to activate and then to regulate and to discharge. So it's it's a hard thing to explain in words. It's very experiential, but that's a good way to sum it up. We use talk, we use movement, we use touch, different tools 
when we're doing a somatic experiencing. The way I think of Essie is um, you're helping people to heal the old way of being and helping them to usher in a newer, healthier, and more balanced and gratifying way of being at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. That is very true. Yeah, we're, we're helping get rid of old patterns, survival patterns, and mm-hmm. be in more of a, a space of presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I, I like about it is that, you know, I was into bioenergetics because I was like really into intense catharsis and discharge. And Alexander Lowen didn't scare me that much because I was kind of like that. And and it felt like I could tolerate, I could barely tolerate, but I could tolerate the intensity of bioenergetics, the grounding, the discharge, the sounding, the cracking open and excavating all those really old and deep and sinister holdings that were, you know, really at the age when they were put away and armored against them were quite terrifying. And bioenergetics or core energetics, I feel like is really a good thing for certain types of people. And what I like about SE is I feel like it, it speaks to the other types of people who either are, you know, where bio could be dangerous for them too much. It's too re-traumatizing. It's, they're not ready for that or may never feel resonance with that. And it just feels like it has more in the way of a, a kind of subtlety to it that I think is at times, I think sometimes it may be a little too subtle or a little bit too soft and skirts the edges of the real fuck you that needs to move. But for other people and I've sent various people to you and to other people, they feel like it's exactly right on for what they're able to work their way towards, work their way out of and work their way through to the next place. And so I'm very grateful that it exists. Um, somebody was asking me today about what titration is. So what, is, what does it mean to titrate? I mean, there, you have language in SE that is not really that complex, but is incredibly important. So what does that mean in relation to the SE model? Mm, yeah, yeah. Titration, it means to go slowly. You go a little bit and you come out. You go a little bit more and you come out. So unlike what you're talking about in bioenergetics of that big catharsis, in SE, we do work very slowly. We titrate because, according to Peter Levine, the nervous system can't handle too much at a time. It it learns slowly. It, It shifts slowly. So we'll touch in. And then resource, touch in a little bit more to the trauma and then resource. And and what does resource mean? Yeah, resource is to come back to a place of stabilization. And that can look different for different people, whatever their resource is or whatever it helps to resource their body. Yeah, that's another word that we use a lot in somatic experiencing. Resourcing, titration and pendulation. Are, um, and, and tell me about pendulation, if you could. Yeah, so it's this that concept of going from one to the other. So going from being stabilized, being in a resource place, pendulating into the trauma and pendulating back. And then titration is you do it a little bit at a time. So you don't go too far into the trauma. You go a little bit and then come back a little bit more and then come back a little bit more and then come back. Correct me if I'm wrong. The way I think of it in my lingo is that you're banding the habitual range of emotion a little bit more each time so that somebody can reach the place where they can hold the space for 
something that feels a little bit more frightening or a little bit more uncomfortable or a little bit more reminiscent of old traumatic experiences without going right back into, say, a fight or flight response. Or freeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. And not just emotion, but sensation, um, which are two different. Right. Um, but yes, we we go in a little bit. Or if there's like a scenario that happened, a big trauma that happened, we just do it one little piece at a time. So let's remember when you saw the shark behind you. Feel that in your body. And then we would do a resource. Okay, let's come back. And let's now, shark is getting closer. And that creates new neural pathways in the system rather than bringing you into overwhelm, right? Which is what the system will often do. It'll go from zero to 100 like that. And when we do that, it's not showing the system another way. So we show the system, oh, when we go here, instead of going here, we can go over here, take a detour, slow down. So I think back, I hearken back to when I was working with Alexander Lowen in his office in his old dusty old dank office in Connecticut. And he, he, he said, I want you to go over the breathing stool. They look like, bioenergetics has all these tools. So I went backwards over this breathing stool. And he said, he said, cry, man, cry. I want you to cry, man. And, and as I, you know, it was very uncomfortable. It was like going backwards over a pommel horse, you know, and I was like a rigid driven guy and my body was rigid, tight and, and somewhat muscled that, I would go back over it and like, I couldn't breathe deeply. I couldn't find the deep breath. And there I realized how shallow my breath was. And then he, he pushed me further. He said, no, you keep at it. You just, you, you keep fake it till you make it. Just cry, simulate, just do a crying reflex, cry. And, Cause I had good transference to Jewish grandfather. I was fine to go through that with him, but it was incredibly uncomfortable. And then at some point, I cracked through something and I started to excavate old feeling, like old memory, like really painful stuff. And, and then the breath started to open as the sound opened. And it was like I was accessing something I needed to access. And as I was lying over the stool, feeling nauseous and sounding and crying and fake crying and then real crying, I mean, it was messy. You know, I realized how yet again realized how artificially I and so many of us li are living in our lives, how I could live my life, be so effective in many ways and not know just how much stuff I was holding just in my chest, just in the chest cavern. It was radical. And I don't know if in SE I could get to that place. I think I'd come in a little, a little, come back a little, come back a little. So I get it. There really is a place for these two. And I think it's, I'm, I'm mentioning it not to challenge Essie, because I think it's really important for people to understand if they're exploring body-centered psychotherapies, that they really have to try a few on for size to find the one that really, really resonates with the way they're organized internally. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I noticed that as well with the different bodies that I'm working with and different nervous systems. and. I find that people who tend towards more sensitive do amazing with this work. You can move mountains with them. Whereas people who are in a functional freeze, who have so much armor on and they're used to going so fast and they, there's all the stuff below, it can be a lot harder to excavate and get, and, and get that to come get out. Access, get access to the material. Yeah. So in terms of your personal journey, coming back to your personal journey, 
my experience of you, because I knew you many years ago, you feel like a, and I think I've told you this, like a remarkably different person to me, uh, energetically, remarkably different person to me. And on the assumption that that's all authentic and true and progressive and evolutionary, what role did SE play in all this? What, what happened? I mean, how is it that you've been able to shift from that consciousness? I mean, you always had a lovely consciousness, but it was a different way of being. It was a different energetic structure. It almost feel like you were organized internally in a very different way than you are now. And you correct me if I'm wrong about that. But I mean, what, what, what got you here? Yeah, it's a funny roundabout sort of story. And thank you also for that reflection that seeing that I've shifted and grown a lot. I think I have too, and haven't pondered too much exactly what role SE has played in that, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's played a big role. But what brought me to SE, uh, which is fascinating, is my aunt and uncle actually did the training with Peter Levine in the 90s. And when I, I think I had just finished law school, it was like 25 or 26. I drive up to visit them. They have this beautiful property in Ojai in the back of a canyon. And I did one 30-minute SE session with my aunt that just changed the course of my life like that. I I had been living with somebody, uh, bought a house with somebody, a, a boyfriend at the time from law school, but I wasn't in... I wasn't happy. I didn't like that, um, the dynamic, but I was stuck in the dynamic. And she had me really get into the body and feel where I want to be versus where I am. And Mm -hmm. eventually back and forth between the two a few times. And I drove home that night and I said, I'm moving out. I'm done. (laughs) Um, And that started the trajectory to move to New York City and leave all of that behind. And I was... So glad I did because that was, I knew deep down, not even deep down, I knew all over the place that that was not where I needed to be at that time. And that was not who I needed to be with. So I had that experience and I wasn't really sure what to do with that experience. And meanwhile, I was doing a lot of yoga and dance and Buddhism. I got really into Zen Buddhism for a while. And, but I still was curious about SC. And then I moved to the Bay Area from New York City and the training, we happen to have a training here in the East Bay. And I stayed curious and my aunt kept nudging me to it and decided to enroll in the training and didn't ever think in a million years I would be an SE practitioner. But I still loved the training and was so fascinated by it. And I can imagine that through the training and through the work, you have to take a lot of SE sessions to become a practitioner that that has all shifted me in a big way in the way that I am in the world. And then being a practitioner now, it's been about three years since I found my way out of the law and I'm doing this full time. It's completely different. It's changed the way I relate, the way I show up, the way that I breathe, because to be an effective practitioner, I need to be completely present in my body and grounded and not taken by my clients' experiences. Uh, and so it's over time rewired me. You're rewired. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always a work in progress, right? I have, there's a lot to go, but I notice as a lawyer, as you were saying, I was shallow breathing. I would go a whole day just, and I would know it. And I'd say, I've, I've had a shallow breathing day and I would have a hard time sleeping. And I had so much tension in my body. I was like this, my diaphragms were all contracted. And now I'm so aware. I'm so aware of any contraction. I'm so aware of my breath and I know how to um, move out of it very quickly. Mm. Yeah. I often think that one of the reasons we continue to shallow breathe, I mean, it's not a conscious thing, but is because on some level we know that if we deep breathe, we're going to have to feel into how we feel about parts of our lives and change them. So, you know, I mean, it's an, Obviously, a response to a stressful environment to go shallow, even though actually what we need is to go deep. Those experiences, humans are funky like that. When we're stressed, we should eat the healthiest food, but we most unhealthy comfort food. Go figure out this fucked up species. Honestly, it's just the most confusing thing. But um, I want to ask you something. I, you know, I've had this experience the last couple of years, and it. I thought I kind of knew everything there was to know about this thing called trauma, um, and I turns out I didn't know very much. Um, and I certainly didn't really know what PTSD was. Now I really, really understand. I used to think, you know, like, yeah, it's a PTSD from different things, but you know, I just kind of will myself and push myself through them. And now I understand it just don't work like that. PTSD has a timeline all its own. But one of the things that, that I think is that I've realized that I've been writing about, and, and I have a quote in my new book, Humanifestations, which you um, wrote a beautiful blur for. Thank you um, about this is this idea that trauma is a subjective experience. And that that may seem quite obvious, but what I mean by that is that what I've learned is that, you know, we have this sort of culturally accepted notions of trauma now as we move in the direction of recognizing that we really are all trauma survivors on this planet. You know, and the ones in the greatest amount of denial about it are, of course, the ones who are probably carrying the most trauma. And but we, you know, we're starting now with certain ideas of what are traumas. And I think it's, and I, I'm sure you're experiencing this in your work, that trauma is such a personal experience that something that somebody else would think is absolutely not traumatic uh, can be completely traumatic for somebody, depending on their history, how they're organized, their family lineage. I mean, so many factors beyond our imagining. I can't even put words to all the factors. And I think that the next step in our understanding and unfolding and healing trauma individually and collectively is for us to really begin to understand and to stop gaslighting versions of trauma that don't fit with our culturally accepted categories. Is this consistent with your experience of this thing called trauma? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think trauma is more how an event lands in your nervous system or how your nervous system, your body registers something that has happened to it versus an outside event itself. So if I came, if I come to you and we're doing a session around and I have a sense that there's something I'm holding, but I have absolutely no idea where I'm holding it or where it's coming from. What do you do with me? Mm, we'll get really curious and that happens a lot right there, mm-hmm. there's not always a story there's not always a story for something that's showing up in the body but the body is telling its own story right and there's i said to a client the other day you know we don't always have the luxury of the context and so if there is mm. no context for it 
it really doesn't matter. You just work with what is showing up and it will tell us. It'll tell us what it needs. And so in trauma, we're always looking for what didn't get to happen. And the body will let us know that. Um, I have somebody that I've worked with, for example, who what shows up for her is a very young, tender feeling in her body that just when we get really curious and ask it a lot of questions, try to see what sounds it wants to make, what it wants to say, what it wants to do. It's a little, it's like a little baby just crying and crying and crying and crying. And so we don't know what exactly happened to make this stick in your system, but we do know what we can do for it and we can give it what it didn't get, which is attunement and being um, held and, being cared for in certain movements with the head and neck to emulate nursing. And when we were able to tend towards this visceral sensation and give it what it didn't get, it really changed her life. So it's really cool in that way, because a lot of times, like you said, we don't know where trauma's coming from. For some people, some people might say, oh, that's a trauma. That's not a trauma. But the body does know, and it can even be intergenerational trauma. It can be collective trauma. And the good thing is, it really doesn't even matter the context. What matters is what's showing up right now. So somatic experiencing is very present tense. Well, what's happening right now in your system? And how how can we work to give it the antidote, give it the resource so that the system has a new experience and will register that? And it'll help to heal it, basically cancel it out. Interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Cancel it out. Mm. <laughs> well, in a sense, if, if you can give that unpleasant sensation, the, the antidote, we're always looking for the antidote. Give it the exact opposite thing. Um, mm. and it does, in a sense, it does. It creates this new neural pathway. It creates a new body memory, implicit body um, <laughs> An implicit memory is what we call it, or procedural memory. That's where the healing occurs because then the body's like, oh, this happened. And there's this concept you probably know of memory reconsolidation, where we can go to an old memory and give it a new experience. And then mm. memory has a new experience. Like the memory is uh, malleable, essentially. And so that's, a, that's also what we're doing, not just explicitly, but procedurally within the body, giving that body the nervous system, this new experience that it'll hold in there mm. for the long term. Yeah. And sometimes you need to do it over and over. And sometimes it's just a matter of once or twice. And, and then things rewire and shift around. So Carmen, you've been working with people for a while and been on your own journey. What, what are we, uh, what are we going to do to craft a world where people are no longer traumatizing each other? <laughs> I wish I had an easy answer to that. <laughs> but in that part of the SE toolbox, they have an answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all trying. And I think the more we show up individually from a place of resource, and that, that's contagious. Trauma is contagious, and so is healing, in a sense. <laughs> so, you know, I... The way that I parent, for example, I try to parent from a place of being in in resource and be gentle on my children and not traumatize them. And then that impacts their world and it it all ripples out. So individually, I think if we can all be doing our work and trying to 
learn how to stay in our window of tolerance as much as as we can and that impacts the world around us but in terms of the bigger picture putting international law and this together wow yes <laughs> that's a great conversation yeah 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 well it, the SCI is somatic experiencing international which is the organization that puts on these somatic experiencing trainings I'm on the board of it and we really are trying to go we are international so we do have a somatic experiencing trainings all over the world and we're doing great things like providing free SE to uh, disaster areas where we have a Ukraine task force where a lot of um, SEPs, somatic experiencing practitioners, are offering free sessions and trainings to people affected by Ukraine. So on that level, I think, you know, if we're just talking in terms of somatic experiencing, getting it out there more and more um, so that it becomes just part of our language and it becomes more known. Um, I think that's a step in the right direction, but I know it's a very mm -hmm. battle. <laughs> I do think getting, I mean, what you're doing with your little ones I and mean, getting this way of understanding reality and understanding what we carry and understanding that there are ways to stop carrying it in those ways really is something that would be wonderful to be introduced in primary school. I mean, children often seem to naturally know something about this, but not if they're living in incredibly difficult environments where emotional armoring and physical armoring is immediately required. So I think this really should be part of our, our co-creative conversation from really the beginning of life, really. And, and maybe that's the answer to my own question. You know? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right on there. I think it should as well and i think it's it's new so this work is pretty new it's started in the 90s but it's just now becoming bigger um and it is starting to go more mainstream and we are trying to reach you know, medical doctors and first responders and so i do think that there is a place for it um i think the field of somatics is emerging and it's give it 20 years and it's going to be mainstream i think there's hope for that to, to I absolutely agree with you. So um, anything else that you'd like to share? Well, for your listeners who haven't experienced this work, I say everyone can benefit from it. And even if it's just starting to understand how the nervous system works, how our fight, flight, freeze responses are, are so ingrained and um, can sometimes be very insidious, but just to, to get a sense for some people, just that alone, having the paradigm shift and starting to understand why they do the things that they do and have some compassion for why they do the things they do. Um, because this is our animal body, right? We were, um, we've been on the planet for billions of years and uh, are wired a certain way. That's um, not always in line with the way we're living today. And when we start to understand our ourselves that way, it can, it can take a lot of pressure off ourselves and also just open the door for a lot of healing to occur. So I just think, yeah everyone to get out there and have a session or, or two <laughs> yeah let's humanize through our understanding of these things so i gotta close out with a quote that's congruent with what you just said from my new book humanifestations there quote there are those who dare to suggest that trauma survivors are too attached to their trauma that they are perpetuating their victimhood that they're choosing to remain stuck easy for them to say they either didn't experience the same trauma or they've worked through some of their own. 
or they're in complete denial. It's been my experience that those who are most affixed to the argument that we choose our traumas are usually the ones who are dissociating from theirs. Let's be clear about what we're talking about. Trauma is an embodied experience. It lives in people's bones, veins, arteries, tissues, muscles, organs. It's etched in their cells, brain, heart, and soul. Yes, it is often possible to heal our trauma body, but not always. Not in a culture that buries trauma and that has few methodologies for deep healing. Not in a world that is still actively victimizing. Rather than making the assumption that trauma survivors are perpetuating their victimhood, let's do something different. Let's hear their stories with a compassionate heart. Let's listen. And perhaps, if we listen close enough, we'll also begin to hear our own unresolved wounds rising to the surface, ready to be healed. Close quote. Thank you, Carmen, for sharing. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I look forward to reading your book. Coming, coming soon. The dark is all around me, but I'm so glad it found me.